excuse the music, if you can hear it, from next door. They're having a Dr. Seuss party over there, yeah, in the house of the hippies, as we call them. Uh, they're our very good friends. And I've been over at the party, you know, it's, uh, what time is it? It's um, one o'clock in the morning and I just got back. Uh, the rest of my family's asleep, but I popped over there and... Um, chatted the night away with them all and uh you know my, i've got a friend over there jeff he's my age and um but besides jeff and me they're all the next generation his daughters uh live there with him um anyway all that aside um in the previous episode at the end of the episode uh, i was picking up my daughter from Sunbury to come back to Essendon a fair few hours ago. All right. And she jumped in the car and I told her to quiet. I'm in the middle of making a podcast, you know. And absolutely unexpectedly, she said she wanted to, you know, she she wanted to jump in on the podcast. And she jumped in and then dominated. Uh, well, I liked it so much that I'm going to pull it out of that episode and put it here as a standalone episode. I left it there at the end of the episode, uh, the previous episode, but I'm going to repeat it here as a little standalone 20-minute episode because it's just so nice to talk to my daughter about it. She's 11, and it was nice to talk to her about all these things, and I was pleasantly surprised with her take on all, all these things, such as I... You know, such as, you know, the sorts of things I talk about. And, you know, I, I think she's every bit as good at this as me, um, even though I've got an, you know, an edge in terms of age. But, gee, sometimes I really... When I listen to young people speak, sometimes I think that I don't necessarily have an edge when it comes to wisdom, you should never underestimate children. You can underestimate them if you want. It's not me. I'm not here to tell you what to do. But I don't est- underestimate children, and I'm, I'm always getting surprised. And here comes the surprise. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. You know, it was a bit of fun. All right, here it goes. And then I'm going to sleep as soon as I press stop here, and then you can listen to the episode. Okay, enter. Stage left, that's, you know, passenger side door of my car. Enter stage left, my daughter, Harley. That's a fake name. Harley's not 11. Harley's 12. Oops, you know, spot the father. You know, the mother doesn't make those mistakes. That's a father mistake. It's like when you pick them up from school. Uh, what class are they in? You know, when you're picking them up early. Uh, they're in six... Uh, I can't remember the colour. Six greens, six blues. You know, that's fathers. All right. <laughs> well, that's this father anyway. Okay, on with the show. Enter Harley. Indigenous people. Well, Captain Cook, who, you know, I know a bit about Captain Cook. Jump in, jump in. Um, just be quiet, I'm still talking. Believe it or not, just li- What? <laughs> Sorry? You still recording? Yeah, I'm recording. Yeah, but shh. Do you not want to cut this part? No, I don't want to cut this part. Really? Yeah. Just hop in and listen to your iPad okay. for a minute. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm enjoying myself. I'm in the middle of something and the battery's about to run flat. I don't want your I don't want your voice on my podcast. Hello. No, shush. <laughs> sit in the back and sit down. Can you quiet. teach me how to do this? No, hey? Stop it. Can you teach me how to do this? Yeah, I can. Alright, say something. Hey, I'll ask you a question and you can speak on it, alright? Okay. okay. Alright, jump in the front. Come on. No, 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 no for fun. Come One on, question. this will be fun. Hey? One question. Alright. No, seriously, you wanna have some fun? Fine. Okay. This is Harley. My daughter Harley. You know what I'm doing there, don't you? Because I don't use. Yeah, you're using a fake name. Yeah, I always do, as you know, because I don't like to use real names. Mm-hmm. All right, my daughter has just jumped in the car and she wants to join us on this podcast. 
Um, <laughs> but you don't know who she is, and you don't know who I am, so we're just going to have some fun. All right. You're actually this is, a dog. <laughs> this is suddenly... All right. And, um, all right, let's go. Oh, uh, hang on. That's your door. No, it's not. No, yeah, the back door. All right. Now, this podcast, Harley, is about Indigenous Australia. Do you know what that is? Yeah. What? Now, don't be a smart aleck. Come on. It's Indigenous Australia. Correct. Well done. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you remember those Bora rings I took you up to with Cassie? <laughs> oh, but we, oh, sorry, we're going to give everyone a false name. Um, with Catherine. Catherine, that'll do. You know Catherine when we went with her kids up to those Bora rings in no. Summary? Come on. <laughs> you know, the indigenous, the Aboriginal. Wait, did they have water in them? No, they had no water in them. It... Oh, no, is that the thing where we had to like climb the fence? And then yeah, we climbed the cut. fence. Yeah, yeah. 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 What did you think of those Bora rings? I didn't see any rings. There was a ring there. You had to look closely. It was very worn. We were busy jumping over a bush and climbing. Okay. Oh, I've got a different other question. Another question. All right. <coughs> I have a cold. Yeah. Okay. Here's another question. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that you would prefer to live these days with our lifestyle or in um, indigenous? communities before Europeans came to Australia. You Our know, days. Why? Internet? Hey? Internet. The internet. Okay, no, that's but good. If, if, there, if I didn't really, if I was one of those people who didn't really like internet, yes. then I probably would go back to the Aboriginal because there's no homework. But oh, that's fair point. Fair or point. is there? Maybe they've got their own little civilization of homework and then they kill you if you don't do it. Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe. But just remember that I'll kill you if you don't do your homework as well. No, you won't. I might. I'll kill you. <laughs> All right, next question. Next question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> three, oh, give me the first three words that come to your mind when I say, oh, I'll give you one. Three words that come to your mind when I say Aboriginal culture. Now, I'll say the first one. Rainbow snake. Now you've got to say three other words. Red bird, blue bird, green bird. No, no, no. They are all from what? the rainbow snake story. Oh, what? They're from the rainbow snake story. Okay, tell me about the rainbow snake story because you might know more the about it. The rainbow snake story is about um, a rainbow snake that formed all colour. Oh, right, go slowly and speak loud because I actually don't <laughs> know this story. You, you learn things at school that even I don't know about. Well, I'm absolutely I don't really serious. remember it at all. In, when I, I went I to school, they didn't teach us about this. Don't remember much. No, I can't. But I do remember that uh, there was a ram- there was a snake, and it's called the rainbow snake because that's where Aborigine- Aborigines used to think that this rainbow snake created color. They oh. had they used to have their own little religion, sort of, and it was based around this snake. All right. There was also other reptiles in there. In their religions, one was like a black lizard, right. I believe, but I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. That was the one of fire. Um, but anyway, the rainbow snake is what gave the birds their colour, I believe. Right. And I'm not sure why, but I remember that. But I don't really remember anything else. I do remember that the rainbow snake is what gave the earth colour in there, in what they like to um, imagine. They and they made a book about it because it's been passed down from generations about this rainbow snake and some Aborigines, even in the modern day world, still believe it today, even though they know that they have scientific proof that that's not how it happened. They still like to believe that because that's what they believe in as Aboriginals. And they want to stick with their culture. Fair enough. And um, and possibly you think that we do the same thing with Christianity? No, no, not really. What's the story with Christianity? Is that Well, there's oh. two sides to it. One being like the rainbow snake story, we want to keep the religion alive. Yes. And two being that people do generally just enjoy having something to believe in. Like, they don't want to think about all the scientific facts and realise that the world is just a boring place that just happened. They want to think that there's something bigger and a deeper meaning behind it there. And it's sort of like a message. And other people just generally do believe that God did create the earth. and. The Big Bang Theory isn't actually possible. Right. Okay. Okay. 
Um, what do you think? I, I've never asked you this question. What do you think? Earth created in seven days? Is there a God up there? Uh, uh, I, mean, yeah, this is I don't just... really like answering it, but I do believe that God yeah. moved two planets and, collide, and collided them to create the Big Bang, the Big Bang Theory, um, and, and, that's, and he did that to create the Earth, because it doesn't make sense that he would just create everything um, one by one like that. He, he moved those two stars together, and it took seven hours, not seven days. Oh, so you think, oh seven hours instead of yeah, seven days? Yeah, because he can move them very fast at speed of light, and he moved both stars together, created the Big, the big Bang, and that's why we have Earth today. So, so two huge stars, let's say, yeah. collided yeah. and created the Big Bang. Do you know what? That's just as good an explanation as any other. To tell the I truth. want to bring God into it because I am. Yeah, why do you want to bring God into it? Because I like God. All right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you grow up thinking that this actually happened when you don't know about the Big Bang Theory. So you grow up thinking it was God. So why would you want to stop that? Fair enough. And is that the same way? And I'm, you know... Um, that's fine by me. And the indigenous people might do the same thing with the rainbow serpent, uh, snake. Yeah, I think so. I'm not trying to lead. They didn't, they I'm not didn't. trying to. I'm not trying to put words into your mouth and no, tell you what to believe. No, they probably wouldn't do that back then. Like back then, they didn't. They only had very. Um, they only had very simple knowledge of how the earth was created. So they might have thought that that was true back then. But modern, modern days, Aboriginals probably think that. Um, they think that the Big Bang Theory is true, but they do still want to believe in their culture that they've had for generations before the Europeans arrived. So, yeah, I, you know what? I get all that. And um, I'm not going to moralise and all that sort of thing because that's not my style. But I get all that. Um, to a certain extent, that's like holding two truths in your head at once. One truth that seems to be true scientifically and another truth that is more traditional. How does that sound? Yeah, I think of it more as one truth and a lie. A but, truth and a lie, alright. Yeah, but that's because the, um, it is a lie and people do know that it's fake. But then again, they do want to be able to think that there's actually something out there that's bigger than them, that's better than them, that cares about them. So they want to believe that there's actually some spirit watching over them um, that created Earth. They don't want to think oh it was just two stars it doesn't really matter well we're all gonna die anyway because that's what an angsty teen thinks do you know what i actually kind of agree okay without going into it um i agree and um, also people do believe in christianity because they also don't like the thought that there'll be nothing after death because everybody knows that they're going to die but they what they like to picture that they're going to go somewhere else after death not just just not completely gone forever. Just they disappear. Wanna, yeah. yeah, they want actually an afterlife, and they want to believe that there's something better out there. All right. Yeah, it's it's just it's sort of all just a mindset, really. A mindset. Yep. Yeah, it's it's sort of that thought that oh, I know this is true, but I'd rather believe this, so I'm going to make myself believe this, even though I know. It's Do you know what? I think that's what makes us sophisticated. That we can, as humans. You know, um, see what the science is saying, but we were also born with imaginations and emotions and all that sort of thing, and we can be bigger than just the plain facts of the world. Is that what you're saying? Or you don't like yeah. me putting words into your mouth? No, no, but that's that's roughly it. Because scientists, it's their job to um, discover the the bigger reasons of the universe. And once they found this Big Bang Theory, at first it's like, oh my gosh, this is how it happened, it all makes sense now. But then after that, you kind of are left with a bit of an empty feeling that now that they have an explanation for it, it sort of defeats the purpose of everything you knew before that. Like, I think that people preferred not being able to know how it actually happened. I think they preferred just to keep it in their own minds and believe in what they believe in without scientific facts behind them. Now, let me think about this, because I think you're absolutely on to something there. And I think some of the greatest philosophers, you don't even know them perhaps, have, I think you're echoing what some of the great philosophers have said. Now, I think it was, um, 
Yeah, I think it was, who was it? Um, Kant? Emmanuel Kant? Um, uh, one of them said, who, who said God is dead? There was um, a famous philosopher that declared God is dead. Um, I should know who it is. And he was saying something like that. Now, he wasn't saying that he was glad that God was dead. But he was saying when science came along... That's what I was just thinking when you said that, that when science came along it defeated God, meaning yeah. that God was, God was dead. It wasn't really the fact that God was literally dead. It was the fact that the idea of God was fading away because people were, were, um, are more willing to believe in the scientific truth than, yeah. than, any, than anything else that they're just told. Yeah. Well, this um, philosopher um, was saying... You know, he made the comment, God is dead. But he wasn't saying it in a way that he was happy about that. You know, he was saying, oh, he wasn't saying, ha-ha, God is dead, we finally killed him. He wasn't saying that. He was almost regretful. He was saying, now that we know all this science, um, that's kind of sad in a way. He was saying, I'm just checking, it's still recording. He was saying, that's sad in a way um, because now that we have this knowledge, um, no rational person can have that beautiful, pure faith in their culture anymore because it's been polluted by these ideas of science, which is smashing. Yeah, there's something I always think about too. Yeah? What makes Jesus so great is the fact that people back then had no idea how the earth created and they just thought that what Jesus was telling them was the truth and nothing but the truth. They praised him, they worshipped him because they thought that generally what he was saying was the truth and all the miracles that he um, he did were all just generally the truth and how the earth was created. But if this was modern day Jesus and Jesus came down and tried to tell us these things, then people would be, that because we have all this knowledge, people would no longer want to listen to Jesus. They might think he was crazy. They they wouldn't understand it anymore because we know that it's not true. So they yeah. they probably they wouldn't be able to connect to Jesus. They wouldn't you wouldn't even notice Jesus if he was in the real world. He would just be seen as the, a crazy man talking about magic because yeah, water into wine. Yeah, G Jesus Jesus back then was uh, um he was he was almost like this. He was he was the savior, but he was also almost like. Something, something just generally to believe in, and ever, yeah. everybody enjoyed that. Everybody was thinking, "Oh, well, this this man has come and he's talking to us, so it must be true. It must be true because he's telling us this." But if somebody and there's no scientific evidence against it. Yeah, but if if he said that today and everybody has all this knowledge, then he would be telling us what he, we need to believe in, and most people just wouldn't be listening. They'd just walk along. Mm. And, hey, it wasn't yeah. Immanuel Kant. I remember who it was. It was Friedrich Nietzsche. 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 Nietzsche? Um, German. Um, <laughs> Nietzsche said, God is dead. And he was saying it in an almost regretful way, you know? And he was saying, God is dead now because I have been robbed <laughs> of my ability to believe in God and Jesus and all that sort of stuff in any pure way. Because people can say that they believe in God and Jesus, but they, they know somewhere deep down that they don't. Because I know. They, they sort of can't. Now, to a certain extent, are indigenous people in the same boat then? They used to, in a very pure way, believe in the rainbow snake and the, the three-coloured birds and all that sort of stuff. And it was actually beautiful in a way. And then Westerners came to Australia and brought all their science along. And even though indigenous people are still holding on to their culture, it's been damaged a bit, hasn't it? Because they're sort of thinking, yes, but we know all the science now, and that we know some of the things that we were believing in are just silly on a scientific level, at least. You know what I mean? And that kind of, and is that kind of saying, like Nietzsche said, um, indigenous beliefs are dead in the same way that God is dead? Is that a bit like the same sort of thing? Yeah, it is. But yeah. um, indigenous beliefs. Well, I think that when the Aborigines, they were when um, the Europeans came to the Aborigines, I think that the Aborigines were a little more defensive about that, and so 
they they tried very hard to hold on to it. They yeah. were they were very um they they were they were more like you are not going to tell us this this is what we believe in and we are going to stick with it. Yeah. Whereas today's world, the minute a scientist pulls out this oh big bang, everybody's straight on the side and suddenly everybody realizes that. Whereas back then, the Aborigines probably would have been like, nope, we shouldn't believe you. What makes us want to believe you? Because they didn't have the evidence yes. that, it was, that it happened. But now yeah. they do. Everybody's on their side. All right. If the scientists didn't have the evidence and they just told us that this Big Bang theory was true, nobody would believe it. Yeah, now that's really interesting. I love the way you're talking. Now, Frederick Nietzsche, what he said is, one of the things he said when God is dead, um, you know, an indigenous culture is dead, you know, by extension, was what is what will be the outcome of that if you strip all, if you strip all that off people and you just go with science, what might happen? And do you know he kind of predicted what happened? The World War One and World War Two. You know about World War One and World War Two. World War Two especially was between two very godless kinds of people called the communists were involved and the Nazis you know you've heard about the Nazis and um, yeah some very bad things happened when God was killed off as a pure faith thing um, look I'll stop the podcast there because you're probably tired well I think is there any last thing, thing you want to say uh, I think that even what you're saying about like all the wars and stuff I'm starting to think that humans are going to be their own worst enemies alright because they they're very civilised and and um and, they, and we know how to act, we know what's right, we know what's wrong, and yet we still find a way to be harmful to each other, um, as well as the fact that we did have these beliefs at the, beliefs at the start, and then we came up with scientific evidence that proved them wrong, and I think at some point people are going to start trying to find evidence to why religion's right, and, and get everybody on that side, and then they're going to come back with other scientific evidence, Mm. prove that wrong so they're going to try and prove their own theories wrong because they're never going to want to stop growing in what they believe in so they're going to be like okay we know this but but maybe if this 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 and then they'll keep going on forever so yeah i'm gonna go watch bgt <laughs> what's bgt britain's got talent britain's got talent all right enjoy watching britain's got talent um thank you harley for your contribution. You are the first person who I've interviewed in my entire life. How many people are watching, by the way? Nobody. Okay. This sits me fine. <laughs> In for a penny, in for a pound. That was my daughter speaking just then. I have remembered that my son and I were speaking along the same lines recently, about, you know, five days ago, and um, my kids are chatty, like I am, and they're quite happy to talk into phones. I like keeping little snippets of what they say, uh, but here's something from my son along the same lines. For the hell of it. Anyway, I, got, I said yes, if you want to be picked up. Right, so, yeah, say again. So... Right. We believe in God, right? Right. We believe in a man, a rose, and um, created um, well, he's pushing a set of roses in his middle. Yeah, that's true. Do you know what I don't get? Um, do you ever get a father, Peter? What? He said that God never had a start. Oh, damn. All right. I, I bet I'm just, it just confuses my brain. Yes, I can imagine. I can imagine that. Everything has had a start. Mm-hmm. What about when? God's arose. What about how was God born? Exactly. It's and confusing the brain. I know. Well, do you know the greatest philosophers in history have uh, thought about that, and they haven't been able to work it out either. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Everything in this, everything that exists, has start. Yeah, that's the logic. Yeah, or else, um, yeah, yeah, because. The originals made um, this story makes sense, I think, because it actually said that the snake was born. Right, and then the, the snake, snake appeared out of nowhere. And then the snake made the rainbow. Yeah, and yeah. she ate all the trees and. 
Yeah, that's right. So, there, but there was a start because a snake yeah. was born. He said um, that well, he didn't have a mother. Um, the story. Are you sure the rainbow snake didn't have a mother? It didn't say his own story. And here's the other one. A snippet. All right then. So that's that. What about the Greeks? They had lots of gods. Um, that's what I was about to say. We made up a man who created the earth, right? We made up a man? Who created the earth that lives in heaven, right? Oh, all right. We made that up. And? Yeah? Um, Greece made up. Yes? They made up a lightning god who, um, who lives in the clouds and has many Spartan um, magical glowing people and you like better well they're both good in their own ways and um the aborigines made up um the rainbow snake yeah that's their god yes hmm he creates and that's that interesting to me hearing children talk about the sorts of things I talk about. It's interesting to me. Uh, I, um, w well, which thing first? Uh, I, I, I liked the way Helena developed that theory towards the end of her little spiel, where she said, you know, um, when people have, you know, philosophers develop a whole range of philosophies, and let's say they they crack the case, you know, she, she, um, she was saying, imagine they crack the case, you can say imagine this, we know that you never get to the end of philosophy, we know you never get to the bottom of philosophy, but I think what she was saying there, she was entertaining the idea that imagine um, that the philosophers of the world and humans in general got to the bottom of philosophy and came up with a really good wisdom that pretty much cracked the case. And she was saying humans being humans, they wouldn't be satisfied with that. You know, they'd have to come up with something for the sake of it. You know, um, imagine the world's greatest genius, the best philosopher ever, you know, comes up with a really great thing yeah, and some and Christians think Jesus did that, you know, and he was the final word. Jesus finished the debate. It was over, you know. I think what Helena was saying was um, Jesus finished the argument and came up with the perfect philosophy: uh, love one another. You know, God is love. Whatever God Jesus's message was, and. Um, but, you know, immediately humans started to say, yes, but I might just um, tweak that a bit. In fact, I'm going to go, I'm going to propose a philosophy against that, you know. Uh, but, you know, that's, that, you know, I propose that um, idea, you know, Jesus as the perfect philosopher, or, you know, Paul and the rest of the people who wrote the Jesus story um, as the perfect philosophers. Um, but that's only if you're a devout Christian, you know, you might have that attitude. But, you know, pick any, you know, Socrates was the final word, you know. But then Plato came along and he was the final word, you know. And he had the world of forms and and um, that was my favourite thing of Plato's, the world of forms. I like that one, the perfect triangle. And, um, and cracked the case, you know, according to most people, it is over job is done and then Aristotle came along and said is that world of forms absolutely necessary Plato you know so what you know and, and smashed Plato yeah and then Aristotle became the final word perhaps you know and then after that um, 
you know, there was Aristotle, uh, Aristotle the Great, Alexander the Great, and and then Alexander the Great was killed, and um, the Hellenic world was thrown into turmoil as a result of that, and all the generals took over everything, and then a whole new batch of philosophers came along, because the, you know, the um, the philosophies of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle as created in the good times weren't quite fitting in these bad times, you know, and they said, oh, you know, no, we're going to change it, you know, um, and so on and so forth, you know, and it keeps going forever and ever, and the ones I liked, you know, was Descartes, you know, Descartes, as I like to call him, you know, um, Descartes, you know, finally, you know, you, you get that word on social media a lot these days, don't you, uh, not on social media, but I don't care because I know what goes on in social media. Anyway, um, you know, finally, someone's nailed it, you know. People say that every day. Finally, you know, the discussion is finished. The conversation is over. The debate is over. And, you know, every single day, around about a thousand times, people say that. And people keep debating anyway, don't they? Yeah. And that's humans. And I think Helena was hinting at that. And Descartes was like that, you know, he said, finally, people all around him were saying, finally, Descartes, you know, you've worked it out. He said, um, you know, um, I have proved that the soul exists and that nothing else necessarily exists um, because I think therefore I am. So, you know, I know I'm a thinking thing at least. And, and then everyone around him said, finally. You know, someone nailed it. <laughs> That's something. Nailed it, you know. And um, and then someone unnailed it. <laughs> David Hume unnails it, you know. The very next generation, let's say. Oh, I don't know how long. David Hume was a little bit after that. You know, and David Hume says, aha. And he brought science back. I'll buy mechanisms, you know, that I've probably... You know, because I like that one so much, I've probably said that one a few times, you know. But in short, you know, David Hume said, um, time, uh, you know, to have a thought, a thought can, cannot be had except, a thought takes time, even to have a thought, even if it's for a microsecond, takes time to have a thought, and time is related to space, so if you have a thought that, that um, causes elapsed time, and time it makes no sense without space, so you, uh, Descartes, you've just brought space back into existence, you know, you've just brought the universe back into existence. Um, and if you're going to have the, the universe, how can you discount matter, you know? And Descartes, your physical existence exists, you know? And science is king again, and all that sort of stuff. I've probably just repeated that, you know, just within the space of an episode for all I know. Anyway, you know what I'm getting at. And Helena was kind of getting at all that, wasn't she? I think she was saying, you know, if, if we got to... Uh, what was she hinting at? Perfect secularism. If we develop perfect secularism in the modern world, which some people are going for... Uh, and we all became secular saints after secular ideals, um, and no rational person could go against that. And let's say, just for fun, because you know we're philosophers, we can entertain things for fun. Let's say all religions were stamped out in a nice way, not in a communist or a Nazi way, um, but you know, one way or another, stamped out, hopefully without a reign of terror. Um, and people would like that, you know. And Helena was saying, all right, all trace of religion is wiped from the face of the earth. And I think she actually explicitly said this, you know. Um, the very next day, someone would invent a new religion. And we'd, back to be, we'd be back to square one because it would be a superstition, you know, because it wouldn't be based on much theology. wouldn't be based on much theology. Um, because all the religions of the world these days, you know, all the big ones, have been tested and tested and tested and tweaked and tweaked and tweaked over centuries, over thousand years, over two thousand years, over three thousand years, and you know, the the rough bits have been ironed out, and you know, basically most of them don't involve throwing virgins down a volcano. And um, I guess what Helena is suggesting by inference... Oh, am I saying... Oh, Harley. Look, I'm not going to say all that again just because I... Uh, damn. Yeah, all right, I've said the wrong name. I'm trying to use fake names, but, you know, 
no one's going to be listening to this, so it's okay. Harley is kind of saying, um, I think that we'd be starting again and humans are their own worst enemy and off they go again and they'd start hanging cows like in Salem, you know. Um, let's start religion. And, and that's an argument for, perhaps, um, for saying that um, the major religions of the world are not the worst things in the world. Um, yeah. Alright, so, uh, because, you know, uh, be very frightened about, you know, they may be terrible, but be very frightened what could take their place if they were gone, you know, and, um, and some of the things that have taken their place in the past, you know, uh, Nietzsche, I never say his name right, I know, Frederick Nietzsche, you know, he predicted that, you know, when God was dead, you know, God was killed by science in the period of David Hume and Isaac Newton and all that. Um, Copernicus and Galileo, God is dead. He was saying this could cause a problem because um, to, as bad as religion has been, um, stripping it away, you've still got humans in the picture and what might they get up to? And he said, I predict something very bad in the 20th century. And he was right, you know. We had the Nazis who were irreligious and um, we had the communists who were irreligious and you know, essentially atheists um, and uh, wow they kind of matched it for all you know the crusaders didn't they and, you know, um, and all that you know and all the most evil religious people in history um, so and you know I think that's along the lines of what Helena might be saying. Uh, Harley, see, I'm not going to be very good at this. I'm, um, all right. <laughs> okay. Um, so, and what else did I pick up from the kids? Uh, Harley and, what will we call the other one? I need a fake name for him too. Um, 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 um what would suit him? I, I, I was thinking Midas, you know, because he's, he loves gold, um, uh, but I'll think of a name. Uh, now, another thing that occurred to me is how relaxed they were about the possibilities. Now, I, uh, this is one that I think really um, uh, informs this podcast a little bit. Uh, I don't like that language, informs this and disinforms that, you know. It's modern language that you get in the office. I hear that around the office. But anyway, uh, so um, they were so relaxed, the kids, about continuity problems between science and religion and all that sort of thing. Yeah, both of them, you know. And I don't know whether it's my influence on them or it's just children are relaxed. Anyway, and... Um, they're quite happy to entertain all the possibilities at once without getting their knickers in a knot. Um, and uh, grown-ups find that a bit harder, you know. We need to know the truth, you know. Um, and you get someone who's, atheism is the truth, you know, and you know, God is the truth, and science is the truth, you know. And we need to resolve this, you know, let's argue until we find a result, you know, and of course they're not going to find a result because they're all, you know, they're all looking for the truth, but they're looking, they're all talking about different truths. You know, science is a truth. Now, they're all playing games, really. Um, right, what's the game of science? The game of science, you know, when, now, games, I like game. This is a game theory. <laughs> um... Okay, uh, let's take footy and cricket. Okay, they're games. So what we do with those games is footy, football, what we do is we create rules, artificial rules if you like, but we say these are true, you know, these are the rules of truth in football. And we say you can't run more than 15 yards without bouncing the ball. You know, that's one truth. I mean, sorry, that's one of the rules of truth. 
So, um, if you go more than 15 metres without bouncing the ball, it is truth that you have run too far. Now, no footy fan disputes that, you know, unless it's your own team, which, you know. Um, but, no footy fan, they say, it is true that that football player ran 25 metres without bouncing the ball and therefore deserved a free kick against him. Okay, we say that is... Now, now that's, you know, I, I want to hammer that home as an idea. Um, it is true he ran too far within the rules of the game. All right. And it is true that if you, th if you throw the ball instead of hand pass it, it's a free kick against you, you have done the wrong thing. So, throwing the ball is a wrong thing to do, okay? It is true that he disposed of the football in an incorrect way. That's true, you know. But if he was playing cricket, different rules of the game, if he was on the boundary line and he threw the ball, a player threw the ball all the way into the centre, he's done the right thing, you know. So the same action, and one player playing against one set of rules of truth has, in truth, done the right thing uh, by throwing the ball. And another player in another game has, in truth, done the wrong thing. Okay, now let's just translate this across to uh, the other games that I'm imagining. Uh, the game of science, and I will call it a game. You know, I've got, I've got no problem calling it a game. It is the game, and you know, you don't have to call it a game, but I will. It's the game of, we shall assign to anything that makes sense to our senses, you know, our senses, um, eyes, our hearing, our eyesight, and all that, a sense of smell and touch, um, and um, reason, if you like. Um, all right, all these senses. If anything ticks the boxes, uh, ticks all those boxes and makes sense against those senses, um, falsifiability, you know, all these rules we make of this, the game of science, replicability, replicatability, what's the word? You know, ability to be replicated in experiment, the scientific method and all that sort of stuff. Um, if it ticks all those boxes, we are going to say that that thing that we are measuring is factual, is true, is real, okay? So in Isaac Newton's time, they observed that when an apple fell off a tree, he, um, Isaac Newton worked out that, in truth, it followed, um, it, it, it fell according to a formula called, you know, force equals mass times acceleration, okay? The and the force was the force of gravity acting on that. Um, in that case, the force of gravity acting on that apple. And the mass of the apple came into play. And, you know, Newton could work out how fast it was falling towards the Earth, um, assuming that the friction according to the air was negligible and all that sort of stuff, you know. Able to make formulas with all that stuff, you know what I mean? So... And that became a fact, you know, that apples fall to the ground according to um, the formula of force equals mass times acceleration, um, as long as you discount the effect of friction um, between, uh, of the, uh, between the apple and the air that it is rushing through, you know. And that becomes truth. It is true, you know, and people sort of said, that's universally true in the universe, you know. And um, that's the end of the argument, finished. Yeah, oh no, but good scientists said, um, unless, you know, further evidence comes to hand. And science, science does that as well. So science has got that inbuilt mechanism that religion hasn't got that says, it is true until we find any more, any evidence to the contrary, you know. And evidence was found to the contrary on that one. 
um, you know, Einstein came along and said, at the edges of the universe, you know, if the apple's travelling at the speed, of, close to the speed of light, then, you know, um, things might change there to do with the mass, you know, maybe it'll get really heavy, you know, maybe the mass will increase of that apple, you know, or whatever, you know, my uh, relativity is very rusty. It was rusty even when I was studying it. And there was quite, you know, trains passing and all that sort of stuff, I never quite got it. Alright, um, alright, trains passing each other, um, um, at more than half the speed of light each, oh my goodness. Alright, now, so, that's the rules of that game. Now, um, just like footballers tend to not say that cricket is an invalid game, if you like, you can say that, um, the game of God is not invalid, you know, that you can create rules saying God exists, let's, let's just deem him to exist, let's say that's the rules of the game, and, you know, then we get to play with that locked in, and that's called theology, you know? and um, just like you can have a footballer who is a genius within the rules of that game, you can have a theologist who is a genius within the rules of that game. Yeah. Um, you know, you can, you can, as a scientist, you can say it's stupid to actually create that rule that God exists. You can say that's stupid, um, but arguably you, can, you can't go on to say that once that is locked in, that um, the uh, efforts by the great theologians in history to explain everything in the universe according to that rule, you know, once that rule's locked in, you can't say that's not genius, you know, because most of them were geniuses, you know, the great, they wouldn't be called great otherwise, would they? Um, so they are geniuses, you know, but, you know, modern people um, who are nowhere near the genius of those theologians, you know, you get someone just out in the suburbs who really hasn't even thought along all these lines at all, says, all those theologians are stupid. End of story, end of debate, finished, they're stupid, you know, because they believe in God, um, you know, and uh, I'm, uh, you know, I try and be a bit more like my children, and like children in general, and say, hang on, I'm just going to relax, and just roll with it, you know, I don't only watch footy, I watch cricket too, um, yes, throwing the ball in from the boundary line, at a game of football, if you're a footballer, is stupid. Um, is not an act of genius um, because you'll get a free kick against you. But it is an act of genius if you hit the stumps if you're playing cricket, you know. And that's the way it works. Okay. So I'm happy to entertain. Now my kids, I think, and a lot of kids are happy to entertain the possibility of all sorts of things without getting their knickers in a knot. And I think my uh, yeah, my kids were kind of doing that, you know. You know, Harley was um, really relaxed and saying, and, and so was the boy, you know. Really relaxed, saying, yeah, you know, like, evidence sort of, so, you know, like the evidence of our senses. She wasn't saying it in those words. That's what she meant. Um, science, she was calling it, the evidence of our senses. Um... Uh, um the evidence detected by our senses, as processed by our senses and our reasoning, and our devices, um, such as the scientific method, are saying that the Big Bang did happen, you know, 13.7 billion years ago, or whatever it is, 13.8 uh, billion years ago, 13.7, I can't remember, 14.7, um, anyway, um, now, and she's saying, and yet, and she was very relaxed about this, Harley, and she said, and yet, the indigenous people do want to hold on to their culture as well, culture as well, and they see some truth in the idea, I don't know, I forget what words she used, but they see validity in um, that kind of truth being true still. They don't want to let it go. And the same goes for Christians, you know. And I think that's the way there are plenty of great scientists who are also Christians. And and that does... Uh, children can handle that. I think they're very relaxed about that and loosey-goosey. Um, but 
a lot of grown-ups can't handle that. Choose, you know, choose. You don't. You can't be both, you know. You can't be a scientist and believe in God. Can't do it. Can't do it, you know. Very bossy. Grown-ups are very bossy. Have you noticed that on social media? They're very bossy too. Can't do it. And then someone just does anyway, you know. Because even if someone says you can't do it, if you just go ahead and do it, well, you've proved them wrong right there, haven't you? Um, the language people use, you know, they say, you cannot, you know, thou shalt not, you know, and it's the instant someone does, then the thou shalt not has been disproven straight away, you know, thou shalt not kill, stab, guy's dead. Can you just go over your grammar there? Thou shalt not. You told me that I shalt not, and yet I just shalt did, you know? Um, um, but anyway, grown-ups are very bossy. You know, children tend to say that. And But children are very relaxed, and they can hold multiple truths in their head. And I liked hearing that from the kids, the way they could do that. Uh, there's always a temptation in my head. You know, you kind of, as grown-ups, because we're so rigid, I think, in our thinking, and I'm trying not to be, you know, I, I think I've zenned my way uh, past all that to a certain extent. doesn't make me bright, doesn't make me smart, just makes me willing to do that, you know. I'm, I'm no genius. I'm no philosophical genius. Do you know you don't have to be a genius to be a philosopher? You don't have to be clever to be a philosopher. You just have to be willing, in my opinion, as far as I can tell. You just have to be willing to see things from different perspectives and all that sort of stuff. And to, you have to be willing to doubt yourself and be humble in that sense. But you don't have to be clever. You know, I've heard people say, oh, he's a philosopher, he's very clever. But no, you can be actually fairly stupid like me and still be a philosopher. All you have to be is fairly humble and fairly willing to um, entertain ideas that are even an anathema to yourself, you know. That's very hard to say, even an anathema, even an anathema, you know, uh, to yourself. Um, all right, so kids can handle that with aplomb, and I'm often tempted um, to, you know, grown-ups are tempted to say, we must give children very solid things to believe in when they're young, or we'll confuse them because they're kind of stupid. Grown-ups think like that. Sometimes I think it's the grown-ups that are a bit stupid on that front. Not in other ways, but in this way, because I think children can handle it, you know. And I think my children um, uh, kind of, well, at least the way they were talking then is testament to that. Um, that they can handle it. Just relax. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of thinking that way. Um, you know, we must give the children something very solid to believe it and then they can branch out and explore nuance later you know but you know I've got a seven-year-old there and he sounded really relaxed about the possibility he was, what was he talking about Greek gods um, Christian God and something or other on the rainbow serpent you know the rainbow snake um, and he was allowing for the possibility of all of them in the one discussion and I you know that's probably a product of the fact that um, we talk to him as, you know, since he's been born, we've talked to him as if God does exist, Jesus and God, you know. But we've also talked to him with equal uh, sincerity about the fact that all the Greek gods exist. Because he's, you know, part Greek, so I, I like to do that. Um, so, you know, on a Tuesday I'll tell him, yeah, Jesus and God is very true, you know. And then the next day I'll say, yeah, you know, um, um, uh, who shall we pick? Um, uh, Daphne, you know, Daphne was a girl. She was a girl in Greece, you know, and Apollo was a god, sun god. And Cupid came along and shot Apollo with an arrow, a nice sharp arrow, and he fell in love with Daphne, you know. And I'm saying this as every bit as much sincerity as I'm speaking to him the previous day. And you might accuse me and say, you're confusing the boy. But you know what? I'm, you know, I'll record him another day. He can handle it. He's only seven, but he can handle it. Um, it's grown-ups who can't handle it, you know. Sometimes I'm thinking that. 
you know, and Daphne, she, uh, Cupid shot Daphne with a lead-tipped arrow, you know, um, and she, this caused her not to love Apollo, but Apollo was madly in love with Daphne, you know, and, um, and Apollo pursued Daphne like a stalker, and Daphne couldn't get away, um, and to the ends of the earth, well, as far down as to the river anyway, Apollo pursued Daphne, please love me, Daphne, and she was saying, oh, but Apollo, take no for an answer, you know, no means no, you know, she was trying to say, but she couldn't get away, and she finally came to the river, you know, and her father was the river god or something like that, you know, oh, father, rescue from, the, rescue me from this intolerable stalker, you know, um, but Apollo was coming and he said, I cannot, you know, because Apollo is, yea, verily, he is very powerful and very sunny, and, um, and, and then Daphne, um, in desperation, the poor girl turns herself in, you know, turns herself into a tree by the side of the river, and her feet become roots, and her hands um, become leaves, laurel leaves, and Apollo comes rushing down, not to be deterred, because he shall stalk her to the ends of the earth, and he rushes to hug her, but she is now a tree, and he hugs the tree, and he becomes the first tree hugger in history, you know, and all that sort of stuff, and the laurel, you know, and we named our first daughter after those laurel leaves. Um, okay, um, she was born during the Athens Olympics, you know, they were all wearing the laurels in the Athens Olympics, and um, we thought that'll be the name. We tweaked the name a little, tiny little bit afterwards, but we called her that. All right. So, but anyway, the point is, I'm telling my son this story in such a way as I absolutely believe Apollo is is true, and Daphne and all the rest of it, and the tree hugging, okay? And yet he goes to school, and they say the God, you know, the Christian God is absolutely true, and you'd think that would be, and then he goes to his uncle, and his uncle says atheism is absolutely true, and all these other things are magic and fairy tales, you know? And I encourage his uncle, who is my brother, to say that sort of thing. And other people might say, you're confusing the boy, you know. Um, but you're not, you know. And you know what? When it all washes up, he just relaxes. Because kids have got something over adults on that, I think. They're not trying to resolve everything. Um, they're, they're quite happy, you know. Because they're, they're getting surprises every day of their life anyway at that age, you know. This, you know, they see an aeroplane in the sky... And they say, what is that? Is it a bird? Is it a plane? It's a plane. All right. um, and, uh, but, you know, they don't quite imagine that there's humans in there. And then one day they get in that plane and, you know, and, you know, pennies start dropping. But it's absolutely absurd, you know, the fact that people can hop inside a bird. And, um, and then, you know, eventually they kind of start twigging that the earth is a basketball. And then you can, you can, we're walking on the bottom and we're not falling off. You know, in fact, the bottom isn't even the bottom. It's all relative. You know, we might be at the top, turn the whole planet around, and all the people in England are on the bottom, and they're not falling off, you know. What are we, ants on a basket, ants on a balloon, you know, and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, all these sorts of things that a, a grown-up just feels like is really normal, they're absurd, you know. And then, and then you say we have to be rigorous about God? We're telling them all sorts of absurd things about... Um, that happen in nature, you know, that Wi-Fi is floating through the air and coming into my iPad, you know, that's absurd, you know. Um, so they can live with absurdity. They just play the iPad, you know. And then um, and, so, and, then, and then they carry that across to um, philosophy and religion, the kids. I really do think that, you know. And, um, and... To that extent, I, I feel that I'm working myself into a zen-like state, not only in these podcasts, but in general, in which I can be childlike too. You know, I can go to Mass on a Sunday and absolutely engage and immerse in Christianity and then walk out and decide to be an atheist the next day and, quite, and immerse in that and be quite happy about it and then be a, an atheist scientist the next day and an atheist Christian the next day and then I might just buy into the whole 
indigenous story and traditions and the rainbow serpent another day all right and um, I, I find the kids very valuable um, for uh, showing me a different perspective because I think they're better at that I think they've influenced me in that more than the other way around I have no idea I don't know who who makes who who made who you know and all that sort of stuff all right but you know what I'm getting at and I'm and 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 this is, you know, if you've listened to all my podcasts and you, you wouldn't even know where some of them are because they're under false names all over the place, um, all my podcasts go along those lines where I'm keeping it loose. And I'm happy, with, you know, with history. Comfortable with the mess. I don't have to know, you know. I don't, I'm, I'm not going to lose sleep over whether um, humans are out of Africa or not, you know, or did the apes come out of Africa and... Um, become homo sapiens somewhere outside Africa and then go back to Africa, you know, which is always a possibility. Did the apes come all the way to Australia? And then um, the first homo sapiens came here and then that homo sapiens snuck back over to Timor and then all the way back to, um, all the way back to, through Persia, through India and Persia and then um, went back to Africa and, um, pretended they started there, you know. Obviously that's ridiculous. Apes can't build boats. Uh, but um, it's not as ridiculous, it's not that ridiculous to imagine the apes might have gone a little bit further afield than Africa, evolved somewhere else, you know, up in um, Europe or something or wherever, India, and then China, and then came back to Africa, you know, look, I don't think that happened, but, you know, you've got to allow the possibility, perhaps, alright, so, keeping it loose, being happy with the mess, and not trying to resolve all the mess, you know, and same with scientists, be happy with the mess, scientists, no, stop, no, I need the scientists to find very solid truths, so this only works in some spheres, you know, um, I, I'm happy to keep history loosey-goosey, um, I'm happy for the Ethiopians to believe the Ark of the Covenant is in Ethiopia um, and that it is the true Ark of the Covenant and all that sort of thing, you know. I'm happy for them to believe they're the, one of the 12 tribes of Judah without actually bothering to um, say, show me the proof, the scientific proof, proof you know. Um, you don't need to do that. I'm talking that those things are true. The Ark of the Covenant is in Ethiopia right now according to a certain truth according to a certain game that they're playing. A game in which Ethiopia is the culture that matters the most. And, you know, um, you might try and force them to be more scientific, but then they'll lose all belief in themselves and, and collapse and die, and that'll be the end of Ethiopia. But the fact that they have created a game in which they're one of the 12 tribes of Judah and that they, their emperors are descended from Solomon and the Queen of Sheba and that the Queen of Sheba exists and Solomon exists and that they're descended from all of that and they've got the Ark of the Covenant, you know, and um, because the Queen of Sheba spirited it away from Solomon's temple and all that sort of stuff, you know, roll it all up and that's a myth, you know, and that's a legend, but it's the truth. It's the truth according to a game. And, um, you know, if you say Ethiopians are stupid for believing something they can't detect with their own senses, well, you're saying they're stupid for still existing, aren't you? Because um, if they had gone with their, with only evidence-based, you know, only believing in evidence-based truths, they long ago they would have stopped believing that that Ark of Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant was real. Long ago they would have dismissed the likelihood that the Queen of Sheba existed and Solomon too, you know, and and called them myths. You know, they might have called Solomon most likely some sort of local chief who has been exaggerated out of all recognition into a great king, you know, with lots of gold and lots of wisdom, whereas he was a pretty crappy chief with bare feet and pretty dirty garments, thank you very much, in real life, if he existed at all. You know, so you get all that sort of stuff. And um, and indigenous people, you know, and that's what this podcast is all about. And I think all of what I've just talked about is relevant to all of that. Um, uh, indigenous people, uh, 
you can say they're stupid for continuing to believe in the rainbow serpent um, the rainbow snake I always say serpent you know um, snake the rainbow snake stupid for in, uh, believing when now we have evidence that it's the big bang but my daughter um, you know in her little speech with all her 12 year old wisdom was saying well you know science has kind of proved according to the evidence to hand you know and she was getting at you know redshift and all that sort of stuff that um, it's an expanding universe and you know and it's an ex it's expanding it's continuing to expand it looks like it's not going to contract therefore there was a big bang at the start you know and something like that and she's saying all right indigenous people can sort of you know no doubt in the modern era accept all that you know they can read the evidence just as well as anyone else but she said but they're also very relaxed about still believing the ancient traditions at the same time and they're not stupid for doing that I think she was saying that I really do I think she was saying they're not stupid for doing that it's actually more sophisticated than not doing that quite possibility quite possibly you know all right then um did I derive anything else out of um, listening to the children? Um, probably, but I can't remember what. Um, so I'll end the podcast. Um, did I say that I was going to keep this podcast to 20 minutes at one stage? I'm always just going to chat every time, all the time. And sometimes I'm going to repeat myself, and I'm not going to feel guilty about that. Uh, all right. End of episode, I think think.